0: Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Father Trevor. This Sunday, we begin a series for this summer, our summer Bible study, on the book of Psalms. So would you turn with me in your Bible to the psalm we read this morning, Psalm 42? If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some on the chairs nearby, so grab one of those, and it's on page 7:18 in those Bibles. Psalm 42. Now, the psalms, they're the hymnal of the Bible. They're the song book of the Bible. So the word psalms if you trace it back through Greek and Hebrew, it just means hymns, hymns of praise to God. And just like our songs today, these hymns have titles and songwriters and genres and I mean what we have in the book of Psalms is basically the ancient near east billboard top 150. That's what's going on essentially. It's just 150 of the greatest hits of the people of God. And the genres, they don't have ballads or dance hits or things like that, but they have things like songs of celebration and songs for a victory in battle, songs that have wisdom in them, songs that are prophetic. Um, But the largest category of songs in the book of Psalms is songs of lament, songs of sadness. They have titles like this one in Psalm 42, which is a psalm of lament, uh, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you uh, downcast? Why are you depressed? Why are you feeling down? That's the title. And I mean, I, I feel like I could hear someone singing that hit, Why are You So Down, you know, that would be a, that'd be a good top 40 hit today. Um, they have songwriters too, uh, King David, Moses, Asaph, Solomon, they all wrote songs. And this psalm, if you look, who wrote it, I think it's the world's first boy band, the Sons of Korah. I think that's basically what's going on here. Um, there's lots of other instructions that are included in these psalms. Um, what instruments to play them on sometimes is included. Uh, when to play them. Uh, Psalm 92, for instance, says play this one on the Sabbath day. Um, there's also that word that shows up a, a few times in the psalms, selah. It's some sort of musical direction, uh, some way to play it or to sing it, but we don't really know because it's so old. So I just take it to mean this is where the electric guitar solo goes, <laughs> or to be contextual where the, uh, the ram's horn solo goes, I guess. Um, and all these, all these songs, this greatest hits list, it's divided into five playlists, five books. So the Psalms as one book has five different books. And if you look, Psalm 42 starts book two of the Psalms. So it's like playlist part two. And uh, just like our modern day songs, these psalms have lyrics, only these ones are amazing. And uh, they, they use different different kind of poetic structures, but the most common one is called parallelism, where you'll have one line that, that says something, and the next line will say something similar that either adds more intensity or more clarity to what the first line is saying. So we can look at that in Psalm 42. Verse 2, My soul thirsts for God... That's line A for the living God. That's line B. So line B actually intensifies and makes it clear. It's not just a God who's far off, it's a God who's, who's alive and who's present. The same thing happens a little bit uh, a little bit later throughout here. We'll look at that in a minute. Um, also in these lyrics, we see a lot of metaphor, a lot of symbol. Psalm 42 is one of the most uh, famous metaphors in the Psalms. As the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul longs after you. And these metaphors, they're, they're thousands of years old, and yet there's still something evocative about them. There's still something that we can connect to that's tangible, that moves us. We sang a line from this psalm a minute ago, as deep cries out to deep. There's something deep within us. We can't even articulate the words for it, but when we hear about waters rushing over us and waterfalls and and cataracts. It it, it moves us. It's emotional. These psalms have been sung and read for literally thousands of years by the people of God. And when um, our tradition of church, the Anglican church put together this uh, book, which is our prayer book, the book of common prayer, the prayer we do together about 500 years ago, they included in it all of the psalms. So that's why I read our psalm out of this because it's got the entire psalm book in it. And they picked up on a tradition that the church had been doing for a long time. It's called the lectionary. Here it is in the back of this prayer book. And it's basically readings for every Sunday that we read together. And it's also readings from the Bible for every day of the week. And when it gives us readings for Sunday, it says you can read up to four passages, something from the Old Testament, something from the New Testament, something from a gospel, but always read a psalm every Sunday. It's the only book that we always read from every Sunday. And then when you get over to the the daily prayers, the daily lectionary, it's not one psalm a day, it's actually five psalms a day. So that if you're praying through um, that, you know, study guide every month, you pray through the entire book of psalms in a month. So why would the church say, hey, when you think about starting to read the Bible, a good place to start is to read the book of Psalms every month? Why would it say that? Why have the people of God been praying these Psalms for thousands of years? Why would we spend an entire summer praying through the book of Psalms and talking about it together? It's because it's not just the song book of the Bible, it's the prayer book of the Bible. The Psalms actually teach us to pray. We just read that gospel passage where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. The Psalms teach us to pray. How do we learn? How do we learn how to pray? How do we learn how to talk to God? Do you talk to God? Is that something you do on a daily basis? Is that something you do throughout your week? Are they short prayers? Are they long prayers? Are they prayers that you come up with the words, or do you pray other words that have been around? What does prayer look like for you? I remember when our first uh, child, Nora, was first learning to talk. You know, babies learn to talk by imitating uh, mom and dad, by just kind of repeating the sounds back. And so mama and dada, and then to, to do water, she couldn't say the T, so that turned into wah-wah and lots of other cute little things. I'm sure you've heard things like that before. Kids learn to talk by imitating. And people who do um, early childhood development research, they say it's, it's actually in dialogue that children become functioning human beings. And when you don't have a dialogue partner as a young child, it, it's really hard. One day, Nora and my wife Bonnie were sitting in a room, and I was in the other room, and Nora was like, where's Dada?" And Bonnie said, oh, he's in the other room. And so Nora goes, Trev, Trev. And Bonnie goes, is that how I sound when I call your name? No, she doesn't. That's... But somehow Nora had picked this up and was imitating it back and learning to speak. The Psalms are how we learn to speak to God. It's in the words that God gives us in the Psalms that we actually find our words to speak back to him. We learn to pray. You know, Psalms is the only book in the Bible which contains only prayers. There's other prayers throughout the Bible, but the Psalms is only prayers. That's the word of people. And yet we find these words of people in the word of God. And in in the Psalms, there's this prayer loop. And that's why I love... Um, this uh, art for for the series that we're using, um, it's based on a piece of art created by someone in our sister church, uh, Emmanuel Anglican Church in Uptown Chicago, because of that circle. And the Psalms have this prayer circle where God inspires people to talk to him. And then he takes those prayers and he gives them back to us so that we can talk to him. And it creates this circle of dialogue between us and God because he wants to know us. I remember early on in um, Bonnie and my marriage when we were still learning to to work through conflict, conflict in a healthy way. I remember this one argument. It was like that first big argument. And we both wanted to figure it out. We both wanted to resolve it, but we just didn't know how. We just didn't have what it takes to kind of have that conversation. And I remember how lonely it was in that moment, how painful to not have the words. The Psalms give us the words. They give us the words to come and to speak with God. Do you ever feel that way in prayer? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to feel. I don't know what to do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, wrote a book about praying the Psalms and he says, the words which come from God become then the steps on which we find our way to God. The words that come from God, these prayers, become the steps on which we find our way to God. In the Psalms, God gives us words. He gives us a pathway of prayer. He uses the words of these people so that in praying their words, which are God's words, we might find our words. The Psalms are a pathway in prayer where we find our words and we find ourselves safe in God's words. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. How do we find our words? And how do we find ourselves in God's word? There's this episode of the television show, The West Wing. The West Wing ran from, like, late 1990s through the 2000s, and is about uh, an administration, a presidential administration operating in the West Wing. And uh, there's this episode where there's a new senior advisor who comes in, and it's his first time in the Oval Office. And all day they've been discussing this policy issue, and he has been adamantly opposed to it. No, he does not like that policy. In all of these conversations throughout, So they bring him into the Oval Office, and there he sees the president surrounded by all these important people. And they start talking about this policy, and he's completely overwhelmed. And then the president turns to him and says, what do you think? And he goes, yeah, that policy sounds good. And the president turns to another advisor, and he goes, I thought you said he was ready. And they said, give him some time, he'll get there. And this new staffer was like, wait, what's going on? They walk him out of the Oval Office, and they say to him, you just failed the speaking truth to power test. Isn't it an amazing leadership moment? Don't we come to God that way? Don't we come to God and say what we think he wants to hear? Don't we come to God and try to perform our prayers? Try to look like we think we're supposed to look, pretend to be who we think we're supposed to be? prerequisite for coming to God is not perfection. It's not that we have it all together. It's just that we come. It's just that we come and we bring who we are. C.S. Lewis is an Anglican thinker and writer, and he wrote this book on prayer, and he says, the basis of all prayer, when you get behind it, what we're trying to do is just say that the one talking is the real me, and the one I'm talking to is the real God. That's what prayer is. That's something that we see the writer in Psalm 42 doing. He's not bringing pretenses. He's not saying what he thinks he's supposed to say. He's just telling it like it is. He's being completely honest. You know, if you if you know this psalm, you might think, "Oh, as the deer pants for streams of water," that's so sweet. I like deer, and they it's kind of a beautiful picture that he's painting. This deer is dying of thirst. This deer isn't experiencing the presence of God. This rider is experiencing the absence of God. He would love to drink deeply of the streams of God, but instead in verse three, he's just drinking his own tears all day and all night. He would love to be in the presence of God. And so he says in verse two, when can I go meet with him? When can I appear before him? Does God have enough time in his calendar to meet with me? Why won't he come here? Where is he? He's experienced the Lord in the past. He's been a part of the festival. He's had these mountaintop experiences of worship. Why is God so distant now? The Psalms invites us, teaches us to bring our honest experiences and emotions before God. As we've been preparing for the series, Bonnie's been calling this series, Psalms All the Feels. That Psalms have a robust theology. They have an incredible intellectual framework. They have beautifully crafted poetry, the best poetry in the world. They're also deeply emotional. They bring together the whole of what it means to be human, including the emotions. There's a prayer for every experience, for every suffering, for every situation there is a prayer for every character from Pixar's Inside Out. There are prayers of anger, and there are prayers of sadness, there are prayers of joy, there are prayers of fear, and there's prayers of disgust, otherwise known as laments. Because we're all broken emotionally. We all have emotional stuff. Maybe you had a parent who didn't show emotions, and you never saw what it meant to live a healthy emotional life. Maybe you like me and like most men in our culture were told that showing emotions or having emotions is weakness and so don't do that. And how often do we living out of that message that we received just disengage emotionally from a situation. I mean don't, don't you do this, dads? I, I do this with my kids. I do this with my wife, where we're in a situation and it, it, it's emotional and we just kind of step out of it. Turns out that's, that's what weakness actually is, not having the strength to engage emotionally. Maybe you've been told your whole life that you are weaker because you have emotions. Whoa, calm down. Don't get so emotional. Let's try to be rational here. Turns out our Rational mind is just as fallen as our emotional feelings. God wants us to bring all of ourselves to him. God wants to bring all of ourselves to him so he can heal all of us. Whether you have all the feels or don't feel much at all, God wants you to bring your true self to him in prayer, to bring your whole self to him in prayer. You don't have to manufacture feelings that aren't there, and you don't have to stuff down ones that are. The Psalms will actually teach you how to have emotions and not let them have you. It'll actually teach you how to be human because God's the one who knows. The Psalms can teach you to pray, can give you the words to express your emotions, to express your your experiences, to find an expression and to find the healing that the Lord has for you. In the joy, anger, fear, sadness, and disgust of the Psalms, we can find our words for our lives. And when we bring ourselves wholly to God, completely to him, we actually can find ourselves in him. This is God's word to us. In the Psalms, we find our words to God, but we also find God's word to us. The Psalms have this back and forth between lament and trust, between the reality of our situation and the reality of who God is. They tell the truth about us, but they also tell the truth about God. That's what's happening here in Psalm 42 when one Phrase He says, why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Why am I so depressed? Why am I filled with such turmoil and anxiety? Hope in God. We can hope in God in the midst of those true experiences of what's going on. So often when we're experiencing something difficult, it feels so big and it surrounds us and it's all we can see. And that's true and that's real. And God wants us to express that to him. But then we look up and we say, God, how can you fit into this experience? How can I make sense of you in light of what's going on with me? But that's backwards. We make sense of what's going on with us in light of who God is. N.T. Wright, who's a theologian, he wrote a book called The Case for the Psalms. And he says this, the question's not how to fit the Psalms into our world, but how we fit into the world of the Psalms. Actually, we find Again, it is us, muddled and puzzled and half-believing, who are the problem. The question is not how the Psalms fit into our world, but how we can find our way, our way into their world, into the faith and hope that shine out in one Psalm after another. We try to fit God into our own emotional world, but the Psalms teach us to fit our own emotional world into God. We often try to make sense of Scripture from within our own experience. But praying the Psalms teaches us to make sense of our own experience from the Scriptures. In the garden, Adam and Eve, the first people, sinned. And in that relational break from God, they experience intense turmoil. And they start attacking one another. And they hide from one another. And then they hide from God. And people ever since have been hiding from one another. And have been hiding from God. But God says to us in the Psalms, you don't have to hide from me. You can hide in me you can find in me and in my word a safe place, a refuge. Bring all your emotions, bring all your experiences, bring all your sufferings, bring all your joy and come and have them in me. As we've been preparing for this series with our leader team, one of our leaders, Grace Kircher, sent me a note and just said, I'm so excited to be praying the Psalms. This is what she said. She said, one year... My family memorized Psalm 1 together, and it was one of the most impacting things my dad made us do. Made in quotes. And it's fun because her dad, Joel, is here all the way from Brazil with his family this morning. So, happy Father's Day, Dad. (laughs) You made her memorize scripture, and it was one of the most impacting things that she did. She said, shortly after we memorized that chapter, our family went through a really difficult season. It was one of the most painful things we ever went through but the Lord had been preparing us for it in the Psalms. It was so beautiful to have that common language of the Psalm to pray together so that when we didn't have words to pray ourselves, we had the words of the Psalm. That's the gift of the Psalms that God wants to give to us. He wants to give us our words for our experiences, but he wants us to place them inside his word and inside an experience of who he is. When we struggle to believe, we can still trust. We can still make sense of God even if we can't make sense of our lives. We can still locate our questions and our confusion within the person of God. When we pray our true words to God, we hear his true words to us, and his true word to us is Jesus, the true and living word. It's Jesus, who makes for us a path of prayer, who makes the Psalms prayers that we can pray. See, Jesus is God who becomes human. And when God in Jesus takes on our humanity, he also takes on our prayers. And even now the Bible teaches us that he is at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven, praying for us. We pray with him, And in him, he's the one who teaches us to pray through his word. Again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Jesus has brought every need, every joy, every gratitude, every hope of people before God. In his mouth, the word of man becomes the word of God. And if we pray our prayer with him, the word of God becomes once again, the word of man. See, the the, the circle of the psalms and prayer just got even more intricate and more beautiful. Not only are these prayers we pray to God that he inspires and gives back to us so that we can pray them to God, but now God becomes us in Jesus, and he prays our prayers to God so that we can again connect to God. It's the beauty of the circle of prayer in the psalms that we can enter into. You know, most of us remember the songs that were popular that we were singing uh, as we were growing up. I think especially in like high school and college, right? And maybe those, those songs of the summer in high school and college, I, can, I could like rattle off half a dozen of them, but if I did, some of you would think I'm way too young and some of you would think I'm way too old. So I'll just leave Avril Lavigne and all the others out of this. But, but Bonnie and I have a song. It was a song that we... Listen to while we were dating, and it was at our wedding, and we would play it at shows live. And we don't play it very often anymore, but once that song comes on, man, it just transports us right back. And the Psalms can transport us right back into the world of God, right back into the life of Jesus, because these were the songs he was singing as he grew up. Luke 4 talks about uh, Jesus and his parents, Mary and Joseph walking to Jerusalem for a great feast. And the tradition for the people of God was that on your way to Jerusalem, you would sing what are called the Psalms of Ascent, uh, ascending up to Jerusalem, the mountain of God. And those Psalms are Psalms 120 through 135. My family has a kind of Psalm of Ascent. Whenever we drive to my parents' cottage in Michigan on Lake Sweezy, when we turn onto a certain road, we start singing our Lake Sweezy song. And it's always just all the memories of previous summers accumulate and we are so excited to get there. Jesus, as he walked on his way to Jerusalem, would have been singing, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. When Jesus goes into the house of the Lord, he goes into the house of God, his father as God the Son. Mary and Joseph lose Jesus, they start home, they come back, they're looking everywhere for him. They find him in the temple and he goes, well, yeah, I was in my father's house. And because we pray in Jesus, whenever we go to the father's house, we go there as Jesus, not just to the house of the Lord, but to the house of the Lord, our Father, we can sing the songs that Jesus sang. At the Last Supper, when Jesus has the Passover meal for the last time with his disciples, when he institutes communion that we'll celebrate in a few moments, at the end of that communion celebration, both Matthew and Mark in their gospels note that before they departed, they sang a hymn. They sang a psalm. And we know what psalms from the tradition of the people of God. It was the Hallel, which is Psalms 113 through 118. Now, most Jewish people had the entire Psalms memorized, but everyone had Psalm 113 through 118 memorized. And so Jesus, as he walks out from that last supper to be handed over, arrested, crucified, he sings this song with his friends. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord's with me. He's my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. I will not die, but live. And I will proclaim what the Lord has done. And Jesus walks out to his death. And there on the cross, what is Jesus doing? He's praying the Psalms. At least twice. In Mark 15, he prays Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in Luke 23, he prays Psalm 31, into your hands I commend my spirit. And that's made a lot of people wonder, is Jesus in his entire time on the cross just praying the Psalms, just going through them? Jesus brings himself, he who is the living word of God, to the word of God in the Psalms. He brings himself to the Father and finds himself safe in God. In the Psalms, he finds words for what he is going through, prophetic words that were about him. He finds words to understand and explain and express his own suffering and anguish. Psalm 22, he prays, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groanings, all who see me mock me. Be not far from me. Troubles here. There's no one to help. I'm being poured out like water. All my bones are broken. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. Jesus finds in the Psalms words to express his own suffering. And in the cross, we find words to express our own suffering. In the cross, we pray the Psalms and join in the prayers of Jesus. In Jesus' anguish, we find words for our own anguish. For in Jesus, every lament is taken up into him as he laments. And every grief is taken up into him as he grieves. And every suffering is taken up into him as he suffers so that we no longer suffer alone, but we suffer with Jesus who is on the cross and in our suffering with us. He prays the words of the Psalms and he finds our words. For every why God, for every Lord have mercy, For every, how long, O Lord? For every, where are you, God? Jesus joins in that prayer. And on the cross, he finds God's word to him as he prays Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me not be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me, for you are my rock and my fortress. You take me out of the trap they have set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. For you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And with his final breath, Jesus does what we on our own can never do. He trusts God. He hides his life in God. He finds himself safe In the word of God, Jesus brings the reality of his suffering to his father. And he finds that his father is all that he needs. And his father raises him up. In Jesus' prayer, he makes a pathway for us. A pathway to God. A pathway through the Psalms that we can know and love and trust the Father. Let us walk with Jesus this pathway. Let us find in the Psalms the words that we need to bring our whole selves honestly to God, exactly where we are, exactly who we are, and to find ourself in his word to us, that he is faithful, that we don't have to hide from him. We can hide in him. Your soul may be downcast. You can put your hope in God. He will come to you again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.